how do I follow that? Uh, my name is Dave Sherwood. I am the lead pastor here at Cornerstone. Obviously, coming up, we've got a Christmas Eve service, and you might be asking yourself, particularly if you've been in church your entire life, what in the world are they doing? Well, here's the idea. The idea is that there are all kinds of stories out there that if you hear them enough times the exact same way, it just becomes white noise. Most of what you see Jesus doing in the New Testament is he takes Old Testament principles, even Old Testament ideas and stories, and he modernizes them. And we're doing the exact same thing. Why? Well, for two reasons. One is for us, because we have a tendency to go into autopilot about Christmas. Oh, Christmas is God's in heaven. He sends his son. There's a manger. There's a donkey. I've heard this a million times before, so it doesn't transform us anymore. It no longer challenges us. It's just something we're super familiar with. So it gives us a chance to kind of engage it in a new, fresh way. But more than that, there's plenty of people out in the world, as it were, some friends, some neighbors, who may be considering Christianity, but they've been to church before or they've seen it on TV before, and they know exactly what kind of the traditional service looks like. They've already heard some of that. So we want to do things in a new, fresh, dynamic way. And I don't know with my hair, because I kind of pull it back, maybe I can get a giant hawk out of it. (laughs) Nice, nice, nice. So um, I want everybody to be thinking about who they're going to invite to that. I want everybody to be thinking about getting excited about that. Um, Candidly, if you're looking for traditional um, church Christmas, There are a zillion of them in the area. We're not that one. We try new things. We try things in fresh ways. So that's the first announcement. Second announcement is this. If you're a visitor here today, super glad that you're here. When you came in the doorway, you saw a pallet wall, all kinds of cool stuff there about our connection groups, about events that are going on during Christmas, information about youth ministry, children's ministry. So if you're a visitor, when you leave today, go out into the foyer, head over to that pallet wall. There should be some people working there as well, being able to answer any questions that you have about the church. Sound good? All right. So we are starting a series on prayer today. And what I want to do is I want to ask you to think about it and to feel about it, maybe in a different sort of way. I want you to not just have your head going, okay, these are truths. I want your heart fully engaged in the process as well. So let me pray about that, and then I'll explain a little bit more. Father God, we come before you today, and Father, you know us. You know our tears. You know our joy. You know our hopes. You know our anger. You know the fullness of who we are. And yet, Father, we keep many things from you. We try to hide, not just our mistakes, but we try to hide our true selves, our true heart. And we would ask today that you, Father, would invite us and gently draw us towards being fully emotionally engaged with you. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus the Christ and all God's people said, amen. Okay, so I don't know about you, but prayer is one of those things that when I first became a Christian, I just I didn't know anything about. 
And to be honest with you, when people prayed, it just was all real formal language stuff. And I just thought, this is just stupid, waste of, waste of time. And it took me a while kind of walking through Christianity. It actually took me about 10 years where I finally got to the point where I was like, okay, I get the idea of the Bible. The Bible's got truth and principles. It kind of has information. It explains who God is, how you're supposed to live life. So I get the Bible. And it's doing good stuff in my head. But I don't understand prayer. Why say it? Why doesn't God already know? More than that, I thought that, you know, when I heard prayer, it all sounded... Well, I'll tell you what my first prayer was and my second prayer. My first prayer, my, my family was not a Christian family, but my, my grandma had this. And so it was, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And that's what I kind of thought prayers were. They were these little jingles. And then there was my second prayer that I think probably got God's attention. And it was the first time that I was honest. I got down in my basement and I was considering committing suicide and a lot of things were going wrong in my life and I was deciding I need to probably figure out this God thing, maybe, just on the off chance that any of it's real. And I turned up the music and the stereo in the basement as loud as I could so that I could scream. And I got down on my hands and knees and I, I went off. This is the kind of universe that you run and this is the way you, that you refuse to engage it. If you're just an absentee landlord and this is some sort of twisted joke case study of what our meaning is and I just blew up. And you go, well, well Dave, I, I'm, I'm not sure you can do that. Let me read to you. <clears throat> Let me read to you from Psalm 88 from your wonderful cliche-driven uh, Bible. In Psalm 88, in the Message version, I'm going to highlight some sections. This is what the psalmist says. And remember, these are poems put to music for public worship. And this one's all dark. I'm written off as a lost cause. One more statistic, a hopeless case. Abandoned as already dead. Candidly, I'm one more body in a stack of corpses. I'm not so much as a gravestone. I'm a black hole of oblivion. You have dropped me into a bottomless pit. You've sunk me in pitch black abyss. I'm battered and senseless by your rage. Relentlessly pounded by your waves of anger. You turned my friends against me. and You made me horrible to them. I am caught in a maze and I cannot find my way out. I am blinded by tears of pain and frustration. I am standing my ground, God. I am shouting for help at my prayers every morning on my knees at daybreak. Why, God, do you turn a deaf ear? Why do you make yourself scarce? For as long as I remember, I have been hurting. I have taken the worst that you can hand out and I have had it. Your wildfire anger has blazed through my life. I am bleeding black and blue. You've attacked me fiercely from every side, raining down blows until I'm nearly dead. You made lover and neighbor alike dump me. And the only friend I have left is darkness. 
Praise be for the word of the Lord, right? Why is that in my Bible? That's just, that's pretty cynical dark. That would give Scrooge a run for his money. Well, yeah, it would. It's in your Bible so that you know that you're not alone. It's in your Bible so that you know that it's okay to go there. Because we have a tendency to live out this little cliche thing, like God's up there and I, I don't yell at him and I must be wrong and I'm just to screw up and, and we, we do all this. We don't cut loose authentically. Where are you? Why are you? How are you? In this room right now, I could do the, the cute little cliche thing as a pastor. I could say, hey, how's everybody doing? Oh, it's good. Some people in this room right now are walking away from God. It's dissolving. It's disintegrating. Some people in this room are hopelessly trapped on autopilot, just mindlessly doing the same things. The last time they really laughed deeply or cried deeply or worshipped wildly, it's just autopilot. Some people are thinking about coming back from their extended vacation from God. But they don't know if they're welcome to come back home. My point is there's all sorts of things going on in this room. But the one thing that I want to have everybody have in common right now is when was the last time that you were raw and real with God? When was the last time you cut loose? See, if I'm in a vibrant relationship with God, then there's deep belly laughter, and there is tears, and there is anger, and there is joy, and there is peace. If the Bible informs all the stuff going on in my head, prayer is really the revelation of what's really going on in my heart. And my question is, what's going on in your heart? For 500 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament, they are praying. They're praying, going, we're being obliterated by the Assyrians, obliterated by Babylonians, obliterated by Egyptians. We have all this, we're, we're praying for this little hint, this little thing that you've got, that Moses talked about and Isaiah talked about. We're praying for the Messiah to rescue us. And 500 years of people crying out because of facing injustice and pain and everything else is all being funneled not just towards God, not just towards a moment in time, but it's all being funneled towards a person named Mary. Think about that. 500 years of prayers. Yes, they go up to God. And yes, they're authentic and their people are struggling. But they're also all going to land in Mary. And it's not just Mary. You know, you might think about the fact that all kinds of prayers may be out there and they may be Landing on you. How is prayer in your life? Well, that's what I want to kind of explore a little bit this morning as we enter into this series. So let's start with Captain Cliche. Luke 18, 10 through 12. Two men went into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God... I thank you that I'm not like other people, those swindlers and unjust and adulterers, and even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes on all that I get. You're lucky to have me on your team. Now, what's going on with this guy? This guy is basically saying, look, I, you know, I'm doing my religious thing. I'm evaluating. I'm better than most. 
I play the game a little bit religiously. I throw a couple of bucks in on, you know, Sunday. I sing along with whatever. And we're straight because I'm not terrible and I've jumped through some hoops. Now, here's the scary thing. That guy really does think that. Do you? Well, God, you know, we're square because, you know, and then you've got some list. Or are you like the rest of this story, Luke 18, 13 through 14? But the tax collector standing a distance away was even unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven. He was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And in Jesus' commentaries, I tell you this, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. And Jesus says, basically, there's these two guys that are engaged in prayer. One guy's just playing some weird religious game, and this other guy is showing up going, I know we're not where we should be. And I'm sorry. Send mercy. Don't pray as you ought to pray. Pray as you are. There's a guy that says, you know, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. That's about right, right? I'm talking right now. Am I really just talking to myself or do you hear? And is it blasphemous that I just said that I don't know which one is happening? You're doing great. Jesus is putting these things into play because part of what he's trying to do is he's trying to rip people out of this religiosity that the Pharisees and the Sadducees have been doing and get to something that's a lot more raw and real and relevant to life. So I don't know about you, but I was actually taught when I first entered into Christianity because, you know, these, I go into a room and, you know, these people are praying, O oh Lord, we beseecheth thou in the name of our Father, And God's looking down going, oh, nailed it. King James, mm, it's just sexy. No, God's looking down going, what are you doing? Just like when we worship and we just say these words. Is anything churning in here? Is anything? And you might go, well, Dave, I'm not in the mood to worship today, and that's why I'm, I'm doing it half-heartedly. Here's my point. My point is you jump into the worship half-heartedly and say, I'm here half-heartedly, but I'm trying, I'm pushing, I'm driving forward. I'm trying to catch the dead wood back on fire. And so let me show you exactly what this looks like when it comes to prayer in Psalm 42. It says this, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Now, I want you to notice a bunch of things. So David is a psalmist. David references nature a lot. These are poems that are ultimately set to music that become kind of public worship. 
There's plenty of places in Psalms where there are, are no cliches. I read you one that was pretty dark. This one's not dark. This one has a lot of components to it, though. So let's work our way through David's basically nature walk. So David's out, and he sees a deer. We don't know whether it's just hot time of year or whether he's been chased by hunters, but he sees this deer panting, <sighs> wanting watery brooks, wanting refreshment, wanting to be satisfied. And David sees this deer and says, that's exactly what's going on in me. I don't know if that's you or not, but I'm hoping that at some point in time you've experienced it, maybe multiple times, where you're like, God, I need you. It doesn't matter what Christmas gifts I get. It doesn't matter what raise I get. It doesn't matter what degree I get. It doesn't matter who I date. It doesn't matter all sorts of things. I need you. Core to core, heart to heart, deep to deep. That's what I need more than anything else in the world. That's what I'm longing for with all of my being. And then he asked this question, when am I finally actually going to be able to stand before you, God? And you might go, well, you can stand before God anywhere. Well, yeah, that's the point, actually. Have you ever said, well, you know, I'm just going to pray right here because God's everywhere and he can hear me wherever I'm at. And you pray and you pray and you pray and it's just not there. The cement ceiling. You're wasting your time and your words sound hollow to yourself. That's the way David feels. He wants God deeply and desperately. And he's searching for him, but he can't make the connection. And whether it's his enemies or whether it's a voice in his head or whether it's the tears themselves, they say to him, where's your God? There's this thing running around in the back of his mind. Where's God? Oh, yeah. Where's, you know, finances just collapsed. Where's God? Just got a divorce. Where's God? Grade point average, tanked. Can't get all the toys that you want for your kids. List. All sorts of things. Where's God? Where's God? Where's God? And it runs around in the back of your mind and you're trapped in this little funky place. Some place between I desperately want you and I can't find you. And I'm haunted by a question. Where are you? Now I'd ask for a raise of hands, but the long and short of it is, how many of you have experienced that? <laughs> you're good, you're good. Everybody sooner or later is going to experience it. It's just the way it is. Now, where do you go from there? Because some people, all they do is stay in this loop. And they either end up as autopilot Christians just going through the motion, or they eventually get emotionally exhausted and just exit this whole thing. So you're going to have to add a little bit more to the mix than just what is going on so far in this psalm. So let's... Keep moving forward with David. He says this, These things I remembered, and I poured out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with the voice of joy and thanksgiving and a multitude-keeping festival. And so part of what David is doing is he's saying, Look, I'm pouring out authentically to you, God, exactly where I'm at. But then he adds something to it. He remembers. What does he remember? He remembers leading a procession, a throng, things happening in the house of God, having a voice of joy, being 
thankful, being a part of a multitude. So part of what he's doing is he's saying, look, now is not forever. I'm not going to come to the grand conclusion about whether God exists or not, or whether God loves me or not, or whether God's trustworthy or not right now, because I know that right now is not the only issue. I've been in a place where God shows up. Now, you've got to ask yourself the question, have you? Now, for me, I knew God showed up even before I became a Christian. When I went to two places, I went to Niagara Falls, and I went to a place in Williamsville, New York, called Glen Falls. And I would just go there, and I would cry, and I would yearn for him, and I would look for him, and I would cuss him out, and I would leave angry. But I remember the difference between feeling completely alone and something's here. Now, as the years have gone by, there's a lot more things that I remember. I remember being in the Word of God and really understanding something about how He loved me, and it washed over me. Or I remember being in a place where people were authentically worshiping, and even though I was kind of dead to worship, their worship carried me. I remember being out in nature or praying with somebody that was praying authentically. I remember all sorts of things, and so I start to go, okay, now is not going to overwhelm me because I see, I remember, I can reboot some of the old stuff. Can you? Because here's the deal. Getting yourself overwhelmed is easy. I, I have clinical depression. I know how to do it. In case you want to get overwhelmed, I'll tell you how to do it. What you do is you keep track of all the things God hasn't shown up for, all the things that you think he's doing wrong, all of his incompetency, and you create a massive list about that, and then you just stick to that list, and you run your heart and you run your mind into the ground. Now, if you don't want that to happen, you may have to authentically engage that list, but you have to add to it, what are all the things that you're supposed to be thankful for? What are all the things in nature that are amazing that have produced wonder and worship? What are all the good things that he has put into play in life in general, if not yours specifically? My wife, my kids, sunrise, sunset, my incredible good looks and vibrant personality. It's tipping. My point is this, when you have this conversation with God, when you're having this conversation with yourself, if you're going to be raw and authentic and real in prayer, then you have to balance the equation. It's easy for us to have a relationship with anybody and just keep track of their faults, and then we feel like we've justified exiting the relationship. It's a real trick sometimes when you're sideways with that person to remember all the good things and to stay engaged. And plenty of people exit from God because they get themselves trapped in complaint mode. It goes on, and it says this. Why are you in despair? Who's he talking to himself? Why are you in despair, O oh my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Why am I talking to myself? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. Oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of the Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Now, there's a lot going on here. Notice the first thing. Why are you feeling the way that you're feeling? And is this feeling locked forever? He's looking at himself. He's 
Fight Club to his own head. Why am I thinking this way? Why am I feeling this way? He's taking stock of what's going on in his heart and in his mind. And then he says an interesting statement after these two big questions that are searching within for why am I in this emotional place. He makes a statement. He says, hope in God, which sounds like a cliche, but he says this, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. Now he's pointing to the future. So if initially part of what he said is he says, not, not just right now. This isn't last forever. I remember good times. I remember when this thing worked right. And I can also look forward knowing it will again. And you can ride out a lot if you know now is not forever. And if you've got some past where God has been good and has shown up and you have felt the swell of either worship or prayer or presence or majesty or whatever you want to call it, you know it's also going to happen again. Now, This is supposed to make things complicated on purpose. Because our relationship with God has to have all these intertwining threads to keep it strong. If my only thing that's going on with me and God is my complaining, and that's the only thread that exists, I could just max that out and snap it. But if it's complaining plus praise, plus I can't find you, God, Plus, you've been so good, this is my history with you. You add layers to it, you can actually survive a whole lot, and you can make it through some of the low points. But I want you to notice so far in what I've talked about is one of the critical components of any of this working is you've got to be real and raw and authentic to God. For your own sake as well as for him to actually have something to work with. You've got to investigate what's going on. If you say, well, you know, I, I just kind of pray, and, you know, God, it'd be, it'd be nice if I wasn't fired. It'd be nice if I wasn't alone. It'd be nice if I, you know, I, you know, I, I don't want to yell too loud. I don't want to make it sound like I'm mad at you because I know I can't be mad at you and I can't really complain because I'm still alive and I'm miserable and alone, but I'm, I'm alive and I should be happy. No, 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 no. Reboot that whole thing and scream your head off. Okay? But also add to it, and I am alive, and I can, whatever things you've got, I can see, or I can speak, or I can love, or I can be creative, or, and you've given me sun, and moon, and stars, and music, and bring the whole richness to the table. My open question for you is, when's the last time that happened? Because I know whether you're an autopilot with God based upon a real simple question. When's the last time you belly laughed? When's the last time you cried? When's the last time you praised him and worshipped in such a way that it, it produced joy or peace? When's the last time the emotions actually in connection to God were stirred up? Or are you on autopilot on a treadmill? Thinking and feeling and doing the same things that you did two weeks ago, two months ago, two years ago, a decade And again, you've got that question. Doesn't God have more for you than that? But don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to jump into the deep end of the pool with God. As he's going through and he says, you know, hope in God. In the future, I'm going to have his presence again. He's got this little word down here. It says this, 
Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan, the peaks of Hermon, and Mount Mizar. What's he doing? Well, as he's on this journey, okay, that we talked about where he saw a deer, he's also looking around and he's going, these are some really cool places. These are the sort of places, like I suppose in the Adirondack Trail, where you climb up and you get a big picture of vista view of everything. And so he's remembering God in these beautiful places where, again, you get the idea that God has a big picture for your life. All of life is not just about right now. But also, if you read your Bible, each of these places, there's stories associated with each of these places. So it'd be like if I said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to remember Atlanta, and I'm going to remember Fort Worth, and I'm going to remember... Because you know what? God was in those places doing things. He's doing some self-maintenance. He's not just keeping track of his complaints. He's also thinking through all the times that God has been faithful. When's the last time that you did something like that, where you sat down and you wrote down and tried to remember all the times that God has been faithful as a way to counterbalance what's going on in your heart and in your mind? He moves on and he says this, Psalm 42, 9 through 10. Deep, 7 through 8, deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and his song will be with me in the night, a prayer to the God of my life. And it sounds like the psalm, is end, the psalm ends here. It doesn't, but let's go back through some of this. So he's wandered down this trail. He saw that deer, and he finally actually gets to a waterfall. And again, for me, you know, Niagara Falls or this, this Glen Park you know, waterfall that I went to, and you're like, oh, okay, you know, I'm, I've been longing, I've been yearning, and so now I finally, I've gotten to this destination. You know, God's in the waterfall. God's in showing up at church. God's in, I put on some worship music. God's in. And he says these things. He says, the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and his song will be with me in the night. It feels like, okay, he's worked his way through some things, and he's finally kind of felt the avalanche of God's presence symbolized in the waterfall. The deer has been satisfied. He's, but then it says this in Psalm 42, 9 through 10. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? He goes right back to where he was. It's three steps forward and two steps back. And I need to tell you this because this is real. I'm trying to worship. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm catching fire in terms of worship. I kind of meant that, kind of felt something. No, I don't feel anything. This is stupid. What a waste of my time. I'm kind of praying. I'm, I'm yearning towards God. I'm trying to remember the good things that he's done. I feel like maybe it's changing my heart a little bit. No, never mind. He never shows up. This is a complete waste of time. You feel that flow. Have you ever been there? Not asking for a show of hands. I would encourage you that if you have been there, that's actually a really good sign. Because you're wrestling. You're going to a deep place. You're actually fully engaged with God. And this thing ain't no cliche. It doesn't automatically, mechanically work magically every time. That's why your Bible's got a lot of raw and real conversations in it. 
Why do I go into mourning? Why am I being oppressed by my enemies? It feels like my bones have been shattered. My adversaries are... And again, the refrain in the back of his mind starts back up. Where is God? Where is God? Where is God? He moves forward. 42.11. He asks himself again the same question he asked himself earlier. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. What's he doing? He's just re-engaging what he tried to engage earlier. Sometimes you just have to reboot the whole thing several times before it actually works. And I already read you the psalm in the beginning. It doesn't always work. But you re-engage remembering, anticipating, thinking about what worked in the past. What are your engagement components? Not just sticking to complaint. Doing some self-analysis. What's going on inside here? Am I just keeping track of a nightmare list? Am I doing Thanksgiving and worship? Balancing out the equation. And his conclusion, because this is the end of the, this psalm, is he says, hope in God. I, I know I am going to praise him. And then he adds this little thing. He's the help of my countenance. And my God, what is countenance? Countenance is how your face looks. And I don't know about you. I don't know if you've ever done this. Um, I, I assume everybody does this and doesn't talk about it, but I could be way off. I've, I've cried my eyes out and s- stared in a mirror. And after I've snotted up as much as I can and heaved as much as I can. And then you start thinking about how much cold water it's going to take because you have to go, people are going to see you in you know, five minutes, 20 minutes, whatever it is. And you're standing there in front of the mirror and you're like, you know, I'm done. I'm baked. I'm shot. I don't know if I believe in God. I don't know what's going on. Blah, blah, blah. And you, but you just laugh at yourself. You just smile. You're like, this is the stupidest thing ever. I've poured my guts out to you. I've accused you. I've thanked you. I'm all over the map. I'm a disaster And here's the funny thing. I've had times where a smile just hits my face, but it's not a cynical smile. It's, this was good. I just had a knockdown, drag-out fight with my best friend. I don't know if we accomplished anything, but I feel closer. He's still silent. I'm still hurt and mad. But we're good. The God who restores my countenance. I would long for you. I would wish for you. If it's been a long time, have a raw and real conversation with God again. Go to the deep place. Anybody that's become a Christian, if you're, if you're an autopilot because you're afraid this thing really doesn't work and so you're refusing to risk your heart, oh, risk your heart. Let's find out whether this thing really works or not, whether it's true or not. Risk your heart. Risk your mind. Risk fully. God's a rewarder of those that haphazardly look for him? Anybody know the scripture? God is a rewarder of those that diligently scratch, crawl, beat at the doors of heaven's door. Fight your own mind for praise, for worship, for remembrance, for reboot. Catch fire and awaken again. Last thing that I want to say is I want you to think about those 500 years of silence. 
and those prayers being aimed at a Messiah coming. And everybody's going, where's our rescuer? Where's our rescuer? Where's our rescuer? All of this lands in, in Mary. All those prayers land in Mary. An angel comes to Mary and basically says, this thing is going to happen to you. You're going to be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit and you're going to give birth. And here she's a teenage kid in the backsides of poverty in Palestine. And it should be overwhelming. She, of all people, would have the right to scream and yell and everything else. But notice what her response is. So the angel finishes up his conversation in Luke 1 and says, for nothing will be impossible with God in his explanation about what's going on. And Mary said this, behold, the bond slave of the Lord may be done to me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. Mary's reaction, not just here but in other places, is weird. I mean, Mary, you're a teenager. You know, I'm going to be disowned by my, you know, my, my fiancé and my family, and maybe I'm going to be stoned to death on the outskirts of If any, anybody ever had a right to complain and flip out about things, it would be Mary. This is a little overwhelming and unbelievable. But she frames it. It's kind of funny that she says the word behold, because that's the sort of thing that angels say when they show up to say something important. It's a way of saying, hey, listen up. This is the big stuff. She speaks back to the angel. Behold, I'm, I'm just God's bond slave. Whatever he wants to do to me according to his word is okay. Now, here's where things get interesting. My complaining and whining about God's presence and everything else, I, I constantly want feelings and circumstances. I, I, that's just the way I am. I, I'm just lazy and shallow. I, I want this God thing to work, okay, in a way that's pleasurable to me. That's not what Mary's bringing to the table. See, I get stuck in a lot of prayers of complaint because of my expectations. What's Mary's expectation? Mary's expectation is whatever you want to do, I trust your character implicitly and completely. Whatever you've written my story to be, I am 100% in alignment with. Now here's the trick question. How in the world did Mary get there? I can't prove it. You can look at a lot of scriptures though and I'll say this. The people that spend a lot of time with God, they spend a lot of time in his word and they practice obedience. They grow more and more to entrust their hearts, their minds, their lives, their bank accounts, their guts, they're all to God. And when God asks them to do something hard, oh, my God's got my back. And so I'm, I'm okay. I've got to go through cancer. I've got to go through divorce. I get fired. doesn't matter what it is. He's with me, and that's enough. Would you like to be that strong? Not a cliche answer. I mean, yeah, and we got to put in the time and the authenticity to get that strong. This would be my con conclusions. Be raw and real when you talk to God. I'm not going to say that this is like okay, but I, I, I will say that, you know, 
I'm not sure Jesus is going to chew his fingernails about your word choices sometimes. Just be raw and real. Secondly, pray as you are, not as you ought to be. You know, trying to get our act together so that we can engage with God is, is a waste of time. We're, I don't have my act together, and I'm never going to have my act together. So I'm either going to talk to God the rest of my life or shut up the rest of my life. Those are my only options. Just pray right where you're at. And one guy says, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Killer prayer. I, I trust you. I don't trust you at all. I love you. That's a real prayer. Wrestle, remember, and reboot. Roll up your sleeves and remember. And reboot for the future. I would love to tell you that hope and joy and peace are like magical unicorn fairies that come down and sometimes land in your life. To be honest with you, they're things that you cultivate within yourself through discipline and maturity. Pray, relationship, not religion. If you pray in King James... I'm impressed, but stop and try to just have a normal conversation with God. Joy and hope are a choice. Here in a second, we're going we're gonna to sing a song. It's a Christmas song. Joy to the world. And you may be really far from God. You may not believe at all. You may be having a little private war with God. And you're going, well, should I really sing that song? Yeah, sing that song. Joy to the world. Exactly. Re-engage, reboot, and remember, fight your way through the song. That's part of what we do in worship. We're not always ready for worship, and it's all real. Plow into it with exactly who you are and where you're at. And you know what? God will meet you in the middle of it. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you that we've got these saints in our Bibles that were hot mess dumpsters on fire. Because that's candidly where we get ourselves from time to time. We're also glad, Father, that you gave them wisdom and you showed them how to move forward. And Father, we need that. Father, I pray for everyone in this room. You'd meet them in this song. You'd meet them in prayer this week. Help them to go deep with you, deep calling to deep. And prove to them how much you love them. And I pray all these things in your name. And all God's people said, Amen.